Well, good morning, you guys. It's odd. Christian greeted you and prayed, and then BJ came. I haven't had a chance to say hi, so good morning. This is really loud. You should probably turn me down, because I feel like I'm going to kill you when I really get worked up. So not that's not like that's a little much, probably. So um, J- BJ, just so you know, I muted your Bluetooth because the music was still playing in the background. So when you go to turn your music on, I messed it up. So it's, <laughs> that's, that one's on me. I know, I know. Christian's like, good job. You know, they, they, it's so nice to have a crew that's starting to like lead in ways so I don't have to lead in every aspect of the church. So that means I just get to mess things up and, you know, and, and, you know, pretty soon they're going to give me something more to do because I'm just causing problems. Matthew chapter five. It's always good to hear. By the way, my name is Pastor Mike. I'm the lead pastor. I mess everything up. Matthew chapter 5 this morning, if you would turn there with me, we're going to pick up in verse 17 of the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus continues to teach. We've moved past the Beatitudes, and it's helpful at this juncture as last week we talked about being salt and light. As Jesus proceeds to define further this character and these good works that he's outlined in the Beatitudes and that he called us to last week. It's important for us to recall some situations that have happened in the ministry of Jesus up until this point. Sometimes we can see Jesus say something in a sermon or or in a situation. You're kind of like, well, now why would he say that at that moment? And context is so important because it explains to us just exactly why people are speaking to the situations they are, whether that's a cultural issue or maybe a situational issue. Something has happened that Jesus needs to clarify. And the following section that we're going to study this morning might be a bit confusing if we didn't take into consideration that Mark alludes to that at this early stage in Jesus's ministry, his attitude towards the Old Testament might have been in question. Jesus's attitude towards the Old Testament scriptures might have been in question because at this point, according to Mark's gospel, he had already dealt with the Pharisees with his disciples plucking corn. Do you remember that? They were walking through the field and the disciples were plucking corn on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees were like, you shouldn't be doing that. And Jesus dealt with that. And then right after that in Mark's gospel, it says that he healed a man who had a withered hand on the Sabbath. And that was prior to the appointment of the apostles, according to Mark's gospel, which not Mike's gospel, Mark's gospel, which happened in chapter three, verse 14. No, I'm not going to go there. You don't want to read Mike's gospel like that. <laughs> it's just, what a mess. Mark's gospel, however, In chapter 3, he says that at that point, Jesus appointed the disciples. So those two situations that happened on the Sabbath in conflict with the Pharisees happened prior to that, which means it's very possible that here as Jesus is giving these teachings, there was already some question about where he stood in regards to the Mosaic law, to the Old Testament scriptures. And so we know that the teaching of Jesus, we're told often in the, the Gospels, was astonishing to people. He taught with great authority. He didn't teach like the rabbis did. And so it's possible that the Sermon on the Mount at this point takes a turn, I believe, as it goes into a deeper understanding of true Christian character and lifestyle that Jesus addresses maybe the misconceptions and the misunderstandings about himself in relation to the law. Church, there is so much good that can come from us when we take time to clarify the Scriptures. When we take time to study and know what God's word says and rightly explain it, articulate it to people, not only for our own better understanding and application, but for the effectiveness of our ministry, we must be clear where there is not clarity. If scripture is clear on something, we need to be clear about it and we need to articulate ourselves in ways. It's why communication is so important. 
Think about it. How often do failures in relationships exist because of a lack of communication? Something wasn't said. Something was purposely withheld. People aren't understanding what the other person's saying. Married people, come on. How many times has that been? It wasn't what you said. It was the way you said it. Right? Or it was that thing that you said you were going to say, no, I told you I said that. And you're like, you never said that. Right? That's not what I heard. Think about how often a failure to communicate leads to breaks in relationship and misunderstanding. Jesus isn't going to have that. Here he's going to deal with his relation to the Old Testament scriptures. And it's important for us to be very clear about what the Bible says. There are some parts of the Bible that perplex us, but the majority of it does not. The majority of it is clear, especially when it comes to knowing and having sound doctrine. And be sure that people know the heart behind the text, not just the truth that the text communicates. Maybe you guys, maybe some of you may be too young to remember this, but back in my day, back in my day, we used to talk about the Bible thumpers, right? Think about this. Were Bible thumpers necessarily not speaking truth? No, Bible thumpers were probably speaking truth, but how were they doing it? Well, the name implies how they were doing it, right? They're schlocking you with that 50-pound KJV, you know, concordance Bible, right? They're hitting you with this, this massive, you know, referenced study Bible with all the extra goodies. Now, think about this, you guys. When we speak truth, we must do it how? It's okay. It's a small room. You can say it. You speak the truth in love, right? Now, does that mean that love will leave the truth out? No. Does it mean that truth can leave love out? No, not if you want to be accurately representing the heart of God. If you want to accurately be representing the heart of God, those things must work in conjunction with one another. And be sure that people know the heart behind what's being said. The Bible isn't an ancient codex stored in a freezer served ice cold. Okay? It's the living word of God. Think about what Hebrews chapter 4 says in verse 12. The word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That doesn't sound like something that's trying to harm to me. It sounds like something that is surgically precise. It's surgically precise and able to show us what's wrong and what's right in God's eyes. It's worth taking time to not only rightly explain, but to rightly apply. And so Jesus takes time now to reveal to his disciples his relation to the Old Testament. All that's just a setup for what he's about to say. So let's look at the text. This is Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. We'll read down through verse 20. You can follow along with me, and I'll read the, the bulk of the text here. Don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets, I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus began his sermon here on the Mount with the Beatitudes. We spent a lot of time in the Beatitudes. Beatitudes were delivered in third person. 
blessed are the poor in spirit, and so on. Last week, he continued his sermon in the second person. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Jesus now switches tense again here in this text. And now he changes to the authoritative first person and uses for the first time his distinctive and emphatic formula, I say to you, or I tell you. Now Jesus in the first person is teaching and preaching directly. Okay, so the tense has changed. Don't think he says that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. He says, truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter, which is the Greek word yod. And the reason that's important is that's the smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet, almost as small as a comma. And he says, or one stroke of a letter, which is korea, is a horn referring probably to one of the tiny hooks or projections which distinguish some Hebrew letters from others. They have tiny little inflections that will change the meaning of a letter from one thing to another. And Jesus says this. He says, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter. Of what? The law. will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. It's important to recognize that the Old Testament contains all kinds of literature, but when we're talking about the law, it's pretty extensive. I'll fill in that blank a little bit farther along in the message, but when you think about this, how much of us know the complete law? And I'm not just talking the Ten Commandments. How many of us can quote the Torah? There's a lot there. There's a lot to study there. And so there's various kinds of laws and prophetic visions. And Jesus says this, I'm not abolishing any of that. I'm fulfilling it. Jesus is fulfilling what? Well, it's important for us to recognize that there's some different distinctive things that we can talk about in reference to what Jesus is fulfilling. Okay, now when he says I'm fulfilling the law, when I'm fulfilling the prophets, not only is he doing all of these things, but we can know some distinctive things that matter greatly to us. There's doctrinal teaching in the Old Testament, yes? teaching us about God, man, salvation, etc. We know that these things had only been partially revealed. Jesus fulfilled these through his incarnation. Jesus is fulfilling the things that doctrinally were told to us in the Old Testament. Jesus fulfills those doctrines. He is the completion of those things. There's predictive prophecy. Lots of people like to get caught up in the predictive prophecy of Scripture. You realize that Jesus is fulfilling all of that. If you want to see the fulfillment of prophetic vision in the Old Testament, Jesus is the one you're looking to because much of it looks forward to the days of the Messiah. And Jesus has fulfilled this by coming through the genealogy and even entering into Jerusalem on a precise day, for example. He has done all of the things that the scriptures has said the Messiah will do. And we know that there are things that he will yet do that he's going to do because he has never failed. Amen? Jesus has never failed. He's the fulfillment of not only Old Testament prophecy, but of what is yet to come. And Paul writes this in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 17. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ. The substance is Christ. Notice this. It's not an abolition. It's not a doing away with. It's not a destroying thereof that it speaks of Christ in this situation. It's talking about Jesus fulfilling those things on our behalf and empowering us scripturally to live in the same way, to do things the way he did it. 
Isn't it interesting how often, just as an aside here, how often people look for license to do what they want because Jesus fulfilled? Are we not called to be Christ-like? Are we not called to reflect him in his nature and in his character? If we are, then it's not about me doing my thing because I've been freed from all of these laws. It's me doing what honors Christ by following in his footsteps. And what did he do? He fulfilled the law. Jesus fulfilled those things. The Old Testament contains ethical precepts, something that we would call the moral law. The moral law of God. Jesus fulfilled this, being born in human flesh and living a sinless life, giving us an example of how to address the moral issues of our day. You can see how this this text would end up being like a four to five week study series, can't you? Like this could easily become something that I spend weeks and weeks on breaking down these different aspects of the law. And we're not going to do that because what Jesus took a few verses to say, I want us to absorb. I want us to hear it as he intended it to be heard. Bonhoeffer said this of Jesus on this subject in this text. He said, he has in fact nothing to add to the commandments of God except this, that he keeps them. Jesus has nothing to add to the commands of God except that he keeps them. So then, he fulfills it by declaring the radical demands of the righteousness of God. And so Jesus says this, I'm declaring to you, I'm not doing away with, I'm fulfilling it. It's ratified, it's verified. And you can read all the way through Romans and so many different points of Romans. Paul says, is the law bad? Is the command bad? Was the law evil? He says, no, it's absolutely not. He says, it's perfect. The law of God is perfect. The problem is sin in us. Far from doing away with or abolishing the instruction, commands, and demands of law, Jesus declares, I've come to fulfill. And before we close our study time this morning, I want to show you why that's beyond good news. Why that's better than good news. Because we can look at that and go, okay, well, Jesus fulfilled the law. We don't really think about the law of Scripture very often, most likely. It's not something you're like, hmm, Law of God, how fascinating. I don't know how often you guys think about it, but I don't go back and read through the law. I don't read through Leviticus. I don't read through Numbers very often. Oddly enough, truth be told, right now I'm listening through Numbers, which is fascinating. But, you know, it's not like, it's those aren't the go-to, like, get ready for our new fire series here at Transform Ministries. It's Leviticus 17, right? I mean, everyone's like, oh, we're going to pack the house for Leviticus 17. Now, we should, but it's not something that we visit very often, I'm going to show you why Jesus' fulfillment of the law is beyond great. Jesus continues in verse 19, however, and he says, Therefore, because he did not come to abolish or do away with, but came to fulfill, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus connects what he said about the law of God now to the kingdom of God. Did you catch that? He moves from the law of God and now he speaks of the kingdom again. This is how the two are joined together to one another. Take note, the breaking of the commands and the teaching of others to do the same are synonymous. Did you catch that? Whoever breaks these commands and teaches others to do that, that's not a and or, that's a and. If you are breaking the commands of God, if you are walking in disobedience, not only is that disobedience affecting people around you, you are teaching others to do the same. 
You're teaching them by example. Think about this. Uh, Parents in the room. When was the last time you watched one of your kids say something or do something and you were like, where did you learn that? And then you had that moment, that horrifying aha moment that you were the one who taught them to do that. Or your spouse was kind enough to tell you. You do it all the time, right? Where did you learn to say that? Uh, it's like Ralphie, you know, like I had heard my dad say those words every day a billion times for my entire life. You know, where did you learn to say that? Who told you how to talk like that? You did. Every time you changed the oil in the car, you know, like you guys, we are learning from what we're around, from what the people that we hang out with. Bad company does corrupt good morals, but you realize that being in a world like this, if we are not being conformed into the image of Christ through obedience, that we are being conformed into the image of the world through disobedience, which means it's not only affecting us, but it's affecting people around us. And we are teaching them to follow in our pattern. Don't excuse yourself from the responsibility of being a good example or a leader. Somebody is following your example right now. Somebody is probably more than one somebody. And are you teaching them through obedience what it's like to be like Christ? Or are you teaching them what it's like to disobey him and how you're trying to get away with it? There's some conviction there, I hope, because I'm feeling it. And it's a reminder for us to synchronize ourselves with the Lord. If we think that our sin affects only ourselves, we're deceived. And not only does it affect those around us, we're teaching them how to do it through our actions. It doesn't matter what we say if our living doesn't agree with it. I can say all the right things. I can quote all the right verses. But if my life isn't a reflection of it, I'm false. And I don't want to be false. I don't want to be a lie. Jesus didn't come to abolish He didn't come to do away with God's command. He came to fulfill. And because of that, those who conform to keeping his commands, empowered by the Spirit, will be those who are great in the kingdom of God. He said the least in the kingdom are the ones who disobey, but those whom he empowers to live in a way that honors him will be the greatest. Obedience. How often do we come back to this when we're talking about the teachings of Jesus? Obedience, again, according to Jesus, flows from the heart of those who belong to him. He'll make that point even more powerfully in verse 20. Not because they're better, but because they've been purified by him. Verse 20 must have rattled the audience. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Now, hold up. Imagine the person in your life that you look up to spiritually the most. That you have the highest spiritual opinion of. Human being, not Jesus, but a person. And imagine being told, you have to do it better than them in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. You have to do it better than that person. Now, I'm not saying that because that's the situation that you're in. That's the effect it would have had on this group of people hearing that about the scribes and Pharisees. Because obedience to the law was at the very least perceived as the master passion of the Pharisees' lives. They were there to keep the law. So when Jesus references law, the most, the clearest and most easy connection for them to make of a good lawkeeper would have been a Pharisee. That's who they would have thought of. 
Doesn't it scare you to think about when Jesus teaches us something from his word, the examples that we look at in this life and how misgiving that could be? Do you see why it's so important that we have good mentoring, that we have good friendships and relationships, but that people have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ on their own? Because every single one of us is not worthy of the admiration and worship of our fellows. If you are modeling your life after someone who is not, first of all, walking in Christ, we should be those good examples. But if ultimately you aren't following Jesus himself, what happens when that person stumbles and falls? What happens when that person goes down? Have you read the news lately? Have you seen the stories? Have you seen the names? People are failing. And if you think that it ends with them, how many people have fallen and failed because of them? Because people looked at a man or a woman in a position of leadership and they idolized them as God. Don't you ever idolize me. I am one of you. I'm just like you. You're like, surely Mike doesn't struggle. Surely I do. And don't call me Shirley. Right? You guys, I struggle just like you. I have sin in my life just like you. I have things I have to come before God and weep over just like you. Look to Jesus. The only reason that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ is because he's imitating Christ. If you leave off that second half of that statement, it doesn't make sense. Imitate me. Is that sitting well with you? The only reason that it, it finds home in our hearts is because he says, as I imitate Christ, the second I stopped imitating Christ, don't imitate me anymore. You guys, it's a personal relationship with Jesus. This would have rocked the hearer's world. We have to exceed these guys. I have to exceed that righteousness. How? 240 Eight commandments, 365 prohibitions in the law. And the perceived idea was by the culture at that time that the Pharisees were keeping all of them. How in the world am I going to keep 603 things when I can't even stub my toe and not have a wicked thought? You know, when I can't forgive my brother for something he did to me. How in the world is this going to happen? How can a Christian surpass the righteousness of these men that committed their lies to the do's and don'ts? And in attempting to keep those do's and don'ts, wouldn't that make this a gospel of works? If I'm just running around trying to keep all these commandments and write them all down and, and like, okay, I'm not going to mess up today. <laughs> it's going to happen. It's not about you keeping the do's and don'ts. Our righteousness is deeper than that. It's greater than pharisaic righteousness because Jesus has given to us, church, listen, a righteousness of the heart. He has given us a righteousness of the heart. He has created a new heart in us by the power of his blood. Amen? This is where righteousness comes from now. And if you want something authentic, you have to start in the core. It has to come from the inside out. The righteousness which is pleasing to him is an inward righteousness of mind and motive for the Lord looks on the heart. This is where our righteousness comes from. 
That means that my good works, the things that I do to honor him and keeping his word, keeping his commandments, walking in obedience is going to flow from what he's already doing in here, not me trying to look the part really well. We have way too many Christians that wear masks in this country. Way too many of us feel like we have to put on a mask when we come in here because it just wouldn't sit well with people if they really knew who we were. And I'm not saying you should be comfortable with who you are if you're living in sin. What I'm saying is if you would like to deal with it, Jesus will begin that work in your heart and cleanse that out of you if you will open yourself up to him. There are closets in so many of our hearts that we hide away and we put a lock on and Jesus can have everything in the house except what's in that room. And we're just going to run around and try and do everything that the Bible says and try and make everyone think around us that we're super holy and spiritual, but not deal with that locked up room full of sin. That sin is a cancer. That sin is not going to stay in that room. It's going to spread and it's going to destroy you. Make no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Your sin will destroy you. If it's locked in your heart, do you know what I pray? Because I love you. I pray that it comes into the light. And you should pray that for me too. We should pray that for each other. Lord, bring our sin into the light so that he can deal. Not so we can slap each other. Not to be like, ha ha, I knew you were a sinner. No, and it's not like that at all. You know, you guys shouldn't be like, we would love to see all Mike's sins just scrolling on the screen behind him while he teaches. That helps no one. What we should desire is that the Lord would be purifying me so that I can receive his word and preach it accurately to you and so that you can go home and study your Bibles and receive. Do you see how this keeps going? That rolls downhill. That creates change in community. Not when we fight to be rule keepers, but when we recognize that Jesus has fulfilled the law and he has placed that fulfillment within us. What he has purified within us will result in a spring of living water. His righteousness will pour out of my life. I don't know if you realize this, but at the Feast of Booths in John chapter 7, Jesus stood up on the great day of the feast and he said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. He says, I will give him something to drink and out of his heart will pour a torrent of living water. A spring of water will pour out of him. And I love it because John jumps into the text at that point and gives you a little editor's note. He jumps in, he's like, he was talking about the Holy Spirit. You know, and he gets in there and he he explains this and he says, which he hadn't given yet, but which was sent to us. I don't know if you've experienced this before. How many of you stood in the way of a torrent of living water and not gotten what? If you did, I want to know how. Right? An umbrella. No, like not a torrent of living water. You guys, you can't not be affected by that kind of torrent, by that kind of outpouring. Do you really think that that's just going to affect you? Or is it going to affect the people around you? Yet it begins within. It's not something you put on. It's something that flows out. Striving to keep all the laws and commands is pharisaical righteousness. But abiding in Christ and conforming to his image will beget the righteousness of God. If you don't think it's hard work, you're crazy. It is. But it's God's work. And it's something he empowers us to do through his spirit. Church, I don't want this this group of people, 
even the ones that are camping right now. I don't want this group of people to look better. I want us to be healed. I don't want you guys to play the roles better. I don't want you to say the right things more often. I want you to be changed from the inside out. You want to know why? Because all those things will happen if our hearts belong to the Lord. If we're not trying to serve two masters. Scripture, the Old Testament scripture in the prophets, describes the Messianic age as a time when God puts his law within his people. You'll recognize these verses. Jeremiah 31, 33, speaking to the house of Israel. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. The Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. That's how God's going to do this for the nation of Israel. Again, in Ezekiel 36, 27. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. Oh, so it's by the power of the spirit then. Paul goes on and urges the church in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, when he says, don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. I know that we get this, but a lot of times we don't think about what it means for us going forward. I understand that when I gave my life to Jesus, he poured his Holy Spirit into me. Do I connect it to what with like what the word says about the power of the Holy Spirit within people? That it actually causes us to follow him. It he teaches us. Jesus says it's better that I go and that I send the Spirit. When he was talking to the disciples in the upper room discourse, he said, it's better if I leave and if the spirit comes, because he will bring you into a fuller knowledge. He will empower you from within. Why are we striving so hard to be rule keepers when God has given us his spirit and that can flow out of us like a torrent of living water? Those good works, those things that we should be doing, they can flow out of us as we commit ourselves to him and submit ourselves to him. And don't pretend like a second, for a second, like I try to at times that I don't know what God expects of me. Many of us are living in denial when it comes to how we should be reacting to something. You know exactly what I'm talking about. When you react in the flesh and inside your heart, you go, ah, spirit. Believer, that's the Holy Spirit. Now we have a choice to make. We know that we're not always going to make the right decision, but in that moment, do we then turn and make it right? Do we repent in that moment? Or are we stuffing that voice down and trying to get as quiet as we can because we don't like to be wrong? Because we don't want to admit that we don't have it all together. I hope you guys know that as often as I come before you and stand up here, I always feel comfortable physically. And that's weird, my wife tells me. I have never been comfortable spiritually. I have never once stood before a congregation and felt like I had it together. Like I had any right to say anything on my own righteousness instead of just telling you what God says and saying we are learning together. Someone earlier this morning, we were joking out front, you know, as we were, we were getting, you know, people were coming in and we were joking around and, and I, I don't remember the exact wording said something to the effect of like, was this one going to be really convicting? And so it's a convicting for you. I was like, no, that already happened. Now I have to deliver it in humility because this already hit me hard. You guys, 
we don't pretend with this false sense of piety to come and be like, oh, I don't have it all together, but I'm a mess at times. But Jesus is remaking me. He's making all things new. He is sanctifying me. And I don't serve him and do what he's asked me to do because I have the skills. I do it because it's what he told me to do. And you know what's crazy is how often God will bring us alongside him and say, I want you to do this for me. You're like, no, I already see what that's going to take. And now he's like, yeah, and it's going to be really good for you. Right? And he walks us right into the fire. The Holy Spirit within us leads us and teaches us to follow the statutes and the ordinances of our Father. And it produces in us a righteousness far greater than that that the Pharisees ever strove for in all their rule-keeping. Because Jesus said to them, and you'll remember this, he said, you're a bunch of whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside keeping all your rules, but you're full of dead men's bones. May it never be said of us, church. In the flesh, the Pharisees strove on their own to fulfill the law, but they were powerless to do so. They made their, intent, their attempts to do it without the empowering of God. No wonder Jesus said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. He's revealing that only those who are born again and filled with the Holy Spirit will enter the kingdom of heaven. He's saying, unless your righteousness surpasses, you're like, but they look so righteous. He goes, yeah, it has to be more. It has to be Christ in you, the hope of glory, which is the seal that Paul speaks of in Ephesians chapter 4. That means that we're in Christ. That means that we belong to him. And that means we enter the kingdom of heaven. As we consider this, uh, worship team, you guys can come on up. As they come up, I want to just call your attention to something. So don't, don't check out. God has saved us through the sacrifice of his son. And Jesus came not to do away with God's word, but to fulfill it through his life, death, and resurrection. Jesus fulfilled the will of God by laying his life down. And we have to embrace this to its fullest, fullest extent, which means that he fulfilled by sacrifice. He fulfilled by submission and obedience. And if Jesus bore the name that is above every name, the name to which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. How much more can he fulfill in us what we doubt? How much more can he complete in us if he can complete and fulfill the righteous demands of the Father? What is it that you're doubting that he can do in your life right now? I'm not saying I'm doubting you can put $100 million in my bank account. <laughs> no, don't be fleshly. What is it in your life that you don't think you can get past? You know what it is. You don't have to write it down on a piece of paper and give it to me. You know what it is. Whatever this thing is that you don't think he can get past, I want to remind you of what Paul wrote in Philippians 1.6. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The one who started the work in your life is going to complete it at the day of Christ Jesus. Christ's fulfillment of the law, his completion of us, these run parallel. That they both work, or they both work that something, they only, they both, I can say it, they, they both work in a way that only he can. 
In other words, the completion of you is just like the completion of the law. The completion of you is something that can only be done by him. It's something that can only be done by Jesus. It can't be done by some kind of a workout program. That's not going to make you who you need to be. Now, it could help. Bodily exercise profits a little, but do you get what I'm saying? I'm not just picking out that. That's just one example. A lot of times we're like, if I need to get to where I need to be, I need to do this thing. Stop thinking in terms of do this thing. I need to be filled with the Spirit. Does that mean that I won't do things? No, it means I'll do them the right way. If I'm filled with the Spirit, I'm going to do things His way. Our lifestyle should be a reflection of what we believe, and we know that He empowers us through the Spirit to honor Him with our obedience. Church, don't grow weary in doing good. You will reap if you don't give up. If it feels like everything you're doing is just spinning wheels and you're not making progress, Satan is deceiving you. Seeds begin their growth beneath the ground. That's where it starts. You won't see it at the beginning. You may not see it for the majority of your life. That's encouraging, Mike. It actually is. Because it means that I can do what God has called me to do, empowered by him, and entrust the results to him. He's the one that brings the harvest. Don't let Satan deceive you to believe that the spirit within you is not powerful enough to do what God desires. He fulfills in us that which he desires if we abide. Fulfillment doesn't mean to finish and throw away, but to bring to completion. Fulfillment doesn't mean to finish and throw away, but to bring to completion. God is not casting us aside. He who began a good work in you will complete it. The day of Christ Jesus. He's going to bring you to completion. Trust him for that. Lord, as we worship you, as we cry out to you, as we submit to you, we thank you, Lord, for your presence. We thank you, Lord, for the promise of your spirit, for those who have given their lives to you, Lord. I pray that if there is any non-believer in this room, watching online, maybe watching this years down the road, Lord, that you would draw them to you. Lord, that you would reveal to them that this striving for works is exhausting and it's getting them nowhere. Lord, that they must be empowered by you to fulfill your purpose for them. Jesus, we have to rely upon your fulfillment of the law and be empowered by your spirit to walk in your ways. This is not a gospel of works. It's a gospel of faith. It's trusting Jesus in your finished task. And Lord, we believe. Minister to the hearts of this church. God, I pray for you to bless them. Pray for you to work in them. Maybe we'll get another week to serve you. I don't know. But Lord, if this is all that we get, I ask, Lord, that we would give you every breath. For to you is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen.